0: This is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. This morning, we checked in with Mayor Harry Kim on his approach to limiting the spread of the coronavirus in Hawaii County, a vast island to cover with limited resources. He gives daily briefings, morning briefings to keep everyone informed. It is in Kona where a cluster of positive COVID cases was traced to a McDonald's restaurant. There are 40 cases reported island-wide with no deaths, but only 11 cases are being actively monitored.
1: 12 people associated with that one issue, you know, came from uh, the McDonald's uh, case out of the 40. So that's a lesson for all of us, which I've I've stated to people and the state as well. You know, don't misinterpret a quiet period as that uh, that it's over. One person uh, started this tremendous spread of the disease of fellow workers and family. Unfortunately, for it on the positive side, a McDonald's was very, very conscientious and locked down totally as soon as they got the word on it, which was last Thursday uh, early evening, and the managers just automatically locked down the uh, McDonald's. And when the Department of Health worker went to uh, Notified them on a Friday morning. Uh, he was very pleasantly surprised to see it was a lockdown.
0: Right, and I think uh, Bruce Anderson, you know, has uh, come out to say that he believes that the likelihood of customers being affected uh, may be minimized because the restaurant did take proactive steps.
1: Yeah, but the words quoting him, his word was. Uh, Poses no risks at this time, in his interpretation, because of uh, this. uh, McDonald's had already taken precautions, because before that, of no customer contact, you know, of employees to customers and the cleanliness of the place, et cetera, et cetera. So. That was well done, and we're appreciative of that.
0: Right. They shut down, I think there are two facilities, right, for sanitation?
1: Right. One, one, both of them in corner, yes.
0: Bruce Anderson did last night talk about taking steps to find hotel rooms so that if, in the case of an extended family where people were in close quarters, that maybe those members could go and serve out their quarantine in areas where they could be isolated.
1: Yeah, this a thing that the uh, Department of Health and Civil Defense or county government has been working very closely, in regards to having those things identified and ready to go. Uh, We have uh, identified and awaiting contract approval by the state in regards to one in East Hawaii and
0: one in West Hawaii. Okay, so that's going to be a big help.
1: Hopefully we won't need them uh, because at this time we don't. Uh, Like I said, at this time we have only 11 active, and I hate to use the word only because that's a big number in itself. Uh, We have 11 active at that are being readily handled by uh, their own uh, family quarters.
0: But those arrangements are being made, so if we do get to that point, they're there. Yes, ma'am. And so, Mayor, to talk about how uh, each island has approached this differently. You know, here on Oahu, where we've got, you know, the bulk of the population. You know, we tried the the curfew uh, this past weekend. You know, Kauai was the first to institute it. You know, Maui uh, and Honolulu did it at the same time. Um, so talk about your strategy.
1: Well, our strategy from back in February, which was posted on what we're going to do on this. And I think uh, I'm not saying it's right for anybody else, but except, you know, what we proposed and pushed for deciding, it was number one and two as far as priorities. And uh, our responsibility, means as far as county government, because as you know, we don't have a Department of Health. Our responsibility is one, to make sure that we do everything in regards to the prevention uh, element. And uh, secondly, with then very timely and credible information. So you may not uh, know this, but I don't- in february february 28th is when we first identified what emissions were and we've been on seven days a week as far as updates and so one of the things of prevention which i'm i'm really proud of and you know happy we have done it is that seven days a week we begin what we call a disinfection program of parks and public works of uh, spraying uh, things of uh, common places of beaches and benches and you know even signal lights buttons etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, downtown area and that continues today. Matter of fact, coincidentally, this week took us this long because we had a a lot of trouble to purchase foggers and that turned out to be a secondary problem because the biggest problem was getting the solution for the foggers and uh, thankfully uh, finally all of that has been accomplished. Training has been taking place uh, today uh, and yesterday and this week uh, the priority places of uh, like urgent care places that handle uh, uh, patients obviously uh, we will be uh, uh, trained as far as uh, f- the fogging up the place in regards to disinfection. We will do that with other places uh, along with our disinfecting of spraying all the public other places and as far as public education and those things, those are continuous, and we'll continue to do that. as there's, there's, We have a task force that works with the private industry, other things that they are doing.
0: Yeah, Mayor, I, I was impressed when I saw your workers out there disinfecting those areas that were closest to where like, the cruise ship passengers might have congregated. I think
1: the fogging idea is a, was a good one, and I'm glad we're there now especially when we prioritize urgent care places because a lot of people, as you know, go there instead of to the emergency room or to the doctors. And I'm sure this this, when they were notified of their service that we are now ready to work with them, I was very, very, you know, happy to see their cooperation. But above all, they, they thought this was a very, very good move because, you know, you cannot just wipe down certain places of a room. Do not miss ever take advantage of a quiet period. It's like I learned a thousand years ago on fighting a fire, raging fire you know, you know you scale back when it's raging because you you won't have a chance, but as soon as it quiets down, whether it be the cool of the night or rain or wind stoppage or whatever, it's when you attack it and i I made it clear to everybody. Do not ever slow down when things slow down like this. This is when we ramp up, and uh, everyone was told to ramp up what they're doing.
0: So, you're pretty pleased then with the uh, response that you've gotten from Hawaii County residents.
1: Let me read you my last sentence of this morning. Do keep yourself physically and emotionally healthy as best as you can. Look out for each other. Be well, and please wear your mask. Thank you for listening. Have a safe day. And that's how it ended in regards to, you know, there, there's. Uh, we all of us I don't mean just Hawaii kind of all of us got to realize this is still a very fragile situation one of the things that from day one that we've stressed is that we have hundreds of seniors out there that are very vulnerable uh, because of age and secondary health problems as we all know Uh, as they call it, the hidden you know, health issues. Uh, we try to develop programs for them to keep them socially connected uh, because they need it much more than uh, others because they're alone for the most part and they cannot go out by themselves. And these are things that you know, we've barely begun and we will keep it up as far as emphasis on it. And I hope the, our whole community realizes regardless of what stats show, our work is far from gone and done, rather, and we surely cannot relax at this point.
0: But you haven't seen the need to impose, like, mandatory curfews or mandatory uh, Well,
1: I've talked to, you know, I, I do understand of Kauai and Maui uh, and Oahu did it over the weekend. Now, naturally, I'm not the expert on those things. So in this case, when it first came up, I called a police chief and his people and put it on the table. Can you tell me what you think of it? And uh, we put always a theme, and the theme is, you know, the coronavirus and to stop the spread of it as best as possible. Will this issue help or no help or whatever? And I think the decision for now at that time for this island because of size and it's, uh, uh, population spread and uh, manpower, et cetera, et cetera, uh, the establishment of a curfew would not be beneficial to this island, and that's where we are at this time.
0: You have taken some action with vacation rentals, though, right, In travelers, Mm -hmm. outside travelers?
1: Yeah, that's because of the problems. First of all, uh, if you look at the governor's proclamation, the governor's proclamation did not exempt them. It was an element of us looking into it in detail. But it, it came about because of complaints of, Uh, People who were on vacation rentals, you know, not abiding by any of the restrictions because they're here to enjoy the the surf and the sea and party time and that, obviously, is what you go on vacation for. It was becoming a problem because we were imposing the rules and regulations on everybody else and naturally... I don't have to elaborate on how the hotels and motels are suffering and so it was to me an automatic thing because again i checked with the police and others is this a problem and they they agreed it was and it needs to be controlled i thought it was kind of controlled in regards to because of the governor's proclamation on a quarantine from any traveler but you know obviously it did not so we emphasized uh, to all and we had a planning department contact these people to make sure that we don't leave anybody high and dry and whoever's on contract right now uh, you know can't fulfill that and however from thereafter we are putting a stop to vacation rentals.
0: You think enforcement's gonna be a problem?
1: I don't think so because uh, yeah, the- that's one of the things we will do on the county's part in regards to monitoring it.
0: Mayor, you know, I know probably there's going to be more hardship ahead. they are talking about possible furloughs of government workers.
1: We have to know that this is not uh, United States issued or uh, much less... Uh, state issue and therefore it's a world economic issue impact and the effect of what is happening elsewhere definitely will hit Hawaii. I think Hawaii has been identified as one of the hardest hit economically. The reason for that is that in the United States, you know, I think number one was Vegas for obvious reasons. I think number two or number three was Hawaii State. And the reason is obvious that we had put so much of our our economic basket on tourism. And as you know, Tourism is zero. I mean, the airlines are coming in that you and I could, uh, you know, lay out the, the back seats and have the whole road to ourselves and we'll play tennis in our, our way. It is horrible as far as economically. We should know that. We should know the, uh, the investment, not the best, but a huge number of those people that are now uh, zero income are associated with a tourist business, resort business. And I uh, hate to say it, until this is over and recovery is on its way, and I'm not going to go into that as when because I'm not an expert on that for sure, but uh, this is uh, just the beginning. And going back to that food basket, a food drop off program they had, and they do it elsewhere also, and we'll continue that. And this is the beginning because this is only the first couple of paychecks that they missed. Uh, you know, and there's unfortunately uh, a road down. Uh, it may be a long ways.
0: I know because Monica has been a, such a big issue over there and the thought about diversifying economy. Yeah, you
1: know, on that, that was one of the issues in regards to I do not, and everybody knows it, I'm not putting down the resort industry because it's a big part and an important part of our economy. But uh, in the presentation of the Mauna issue, I've, I've told people that I, I don't care for us to depend on, Uh, so much on tourism and uh, we should look to diversify and I said uh, I cannot think of anything better than of science and of education which I thought Medicare was a gift to us in that light as long as it's done and I'll emphasize that as I did then as long as it's done in a good way of not desecration of uh, precious thing of culture or you know of nature and so I still stand by that and Unfortunately, right now, you know, even that may be threatened because of the economic impact to uh, people of the five countries that are in participation of this, the four plus United States. And, uh, I don't think any of us are knowledgeable enough to know what a total impact will be.
0: All right. Well, Mayor, we certainly appreciate your time. Thank you so much for uh, spending the morning with us.
1: Well, thank you very much. And thank you for the questions. I appreciate that.
0: That was Hoy County Mayor Harry Kim talking about the snapshot of the impact of the COVID health crisis on his island home. And we now turn our attention to the rest of the world and its reaction to the U.S. cutting funding to the World Health Organization amidst the coronavirus pandemic. And if you're going stir crazy while staying home, get some self-isolation tips from a man sailing around the world solo. Here's the BBC with the latest with COVID-19 on the other side of
2: the globe. This is the Coronavirus Global Update on Wednesday the 15th of April. I'm Janat Jalil. A chorus of international condemnation after Donald Trump cuts funding to the World Health Organization. Unpaid garment workers protest in Bangladesh. And a solo sailor gives his tips on the best way to self-isolate. The head of the World Health Organization has called on the international community to focus on fighting the pandemic and to not get caught up in recriminations. Dr. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus was responding to the widespread outrage caused by President Trump's announcement that he was suspending US funding to the WHO, accusing it of mishandling the outbreak.
3: We regret the decision of the President of the United States to order a hold in funding to the World Health Organization. This is a time for all of us to be united in our common struggle against a common threat.
2: The Washington Post newspaper says U.S. revenue officials have been told to print Donald Trump's name on thousands of checks being sent to Americans to help them during the coronavirus outbreak. The newspaper called the decision unprecedented as a tax office is not supposed to display political bias. Retail sales in the United States have suffered their steepest ever monthly decline because of the pandemic. Here's Samira Hussein in New York. The abrupt drop in Americans spending money at restaurants, stores, and petrol stations has led to a record decline in retail sales, 8.7% for the month of March. Consumer spending accounts for two-thirds of the U.S. economy. Many economists predict retail sales numbers for the month of April will look much worse. Russia's attempts to control travel during the coronavirus lockdown appear to have backfired after large crowds formed at Moscow metro stations while police checked newly introduced digital passes. Many Muscovites complained the queues were increasing the risk of transmitting the virus. This comes as Russia has once again reported a record daily rise in the number of new infections. Sergei Guryashko has more.
4: One of the people wrote on Twitter that those who haven't gotten sick yet will definitely get sick now and that's obvious because hundreds and hundreds of people were gathered today in the Moscow streets or outside the Moscow metro stations and it was the first time since the quarantine measures were enrolled in Russia that this thing has happened in the Moscow capital. Thousands
2: of garment factory workers in Bangladesh have held protests in the capital, Dhaka, demanding their unpaid salaries for the past month. Factories have been shut for the past few weeks as part of efforts to control the spread of COVID-19. As some European countries start to cautiously ease their lockdowns, governments are looking at how to best protect older people and those with underlying health problems. A former British doctor, Robin Macmillan, gave us his thoughts on how that might work.
5: I think you have to accept that people who are over 70, which includes myself, may be more circumspect and may choose voluntarily to, uh, to continue to reduce their social interaction. But I, I have my doubts as to the ability for a legislative approach.
2: A man in Perth has become the first person in Australia to be jailed for flouting the country's strict coronavirus laws after he repeatedly sneaked out of his hotel to visit his girlfriend. Shaima Khalil reports. Jonathan David was caught on CCTV leaving through a fire exit. A court heard that he then used public transport to travel across the city to visit his girlfriend. He was sentenced to a suspended jail term of six months and two weeks with one month to be served immediately. The magistrate called him selfish in the extreme." A woman in Rome has been fined hundreds of dollars for walking her pet turtle. While Italians are allowed to take their dogs for a walk, they need very good reasons to be outside in the middle of a pandemic that has claimed more than 21,000 lives. Many of us are social distancing, but no one is doing it quite like Bert Tehart. The 62-year-old Canadian doesn't have much choice as he's sailing solo around the globe. So what can he teach us? Here's Jonathan Savage. What's helped him stay seen are discipline and routine maintenance meal planning knowing what he's supposed to be doing at any time of day helps Bert reduce stress and anxiety and also see isolation as an opportunity to learn about yourself and your place in the world if your environment bores you grab a book put up your feet and simply drift away this is the coronavirus global update
5: Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, with a mission to create transformative experiences through art and committed to standing with the community during this time. Updates on reopening at honolulumuseum.org. I'm Marco Werman. At The World, we're always looking beyond
3: our borders to get the global take on the news. That's especially important as we deal with a pandemic. We take you to places where the coronavirus struck first places that may recover from its effects before the US. Join us as we take on each day's news from a global perspective. That's why we call it the world. This afternoon at one.
0: Talk of reopening the economy is on the rise here in Hawaii and around the country. HPR's Ryan Finnerty has been reporting on the local economic fallout of the COVID-19 pandemic and joins us now. Good morning, Ryan.
6: Hi, Hi, Catherine.
0: You know, we've seen a release of two different plans for restarting economic activity. For those who aren't tracking this, what's in them?
6: Yeah, that's right. Uh, the first one was released last week by two researchers, one at the University of Hawaii, an economist, and the other at the East-West Center, who's uh, an infectious disease specialist. And the second plan was rolled out this week, and it comes from HMSA, the health insurer, the largest in the state. And they're pretty similar. Both divide the economy, the, the, the state economy, into tourism and non-tourism or local activity. And the basic premise is that uh, non-tourism, local economic activity will be easier to restart than tourism, which is dependent on millions of people coming to Hawaii from all over the world. Um, and both plans kind of draw examples from other countries around the world that have had some success in controlling their local epidemics New Zealand, Iceland, and South Korea. Um, And they're also drawing lessons from countries that have had some initial success, but then seen a return of cases like Hong Kong and Singapore, uh, which moved to reopen and and now have had uh, kind of an uptick in cases again. Both plans place an emphasis on virus testing and then tracing of contacts, people who uh, the infected have come into contact with, and also maintaining some level of social distancing and isolation measures that we already have in place. And uh, they both also make clear that this wouldn't be uh, just sort of a random reopening, that uh, authorities would need to set um, some predetermined conditions that, when met, would allow for a gradual easing of the lockdown and Those conditions would be things like the presence of a rapid test for the virus or an antibody test that shows people who have already developed an immunity by recovering um, or the capacity to do a certain number of tests per day, things like that. Uh, Mark Mubishi is a medical doctor, and he's also the president of HMSA, and he pointed out that while there are health risks to reopening the economy too quickly, there are also some pretty serious risks if we wait too long.
5: The number one determinant all of us know of poor health outcomes is economic inadequacy. So Hawaii does need to react quickly to restore its economy or the ramifications to public health will be large and long lasting.
0: So for what I understand, so both plans call for ramping up the testing capacity, but it sounds like not everybody agrees with that.
6: Yeah, that's right. Uh, around the world, you know, we've heard this really big focus on testing as a way to uh control the spread of the disease um but bruce anderson who's the director of the state department of health pushed back a little bit on this focus on testing and here's what he
3: had to say i think there's an undue focus on this whole testing issue uh testing um doesn't change anything that we do um honestly the social distancing is what prevents the disease in our state the decisions made on quarantine and isolation are made long before we get a test result it is effective if someone's symptomatic in identifying what they have and what course of treatment might be appropriate for the individual, but it certainly doesn't help you when making decisions on, on social distancing and other things that, that need to be done. But this whole uh, idea that we do this mass testing with the test we have approved today is not uh, not appropriate.
6: And Anderson went on to say that he thinks the state should focus more on contact tracing. This is a process where public health officials track down anyone who may have come into close contact with an infected person and then direct them to isolate or potentially test them as well. Um, And as he kind of alluded to at the end of his his clip there, he feels that there are limitations uh, with the current tests available that don't necessarily help the process. Those are things like the amount of time it takes to get a test result, the number of tests that can be performed uh, at one time, Um, but there was some pushback against uh, a lot of uh, other people in this meeting said that they do think testing is really important one of them was tim brown Um, he is that infectious disease specialist with the east west center in honolulu who co-authored one of the reopening plans and uh, here's what he had to say about it where it's critically important from a public health perspective is really in terms of giving us the entry point for contact tracing because the longer we let it spread the longer we're basically
3: going to see more cases
6: and that makes sense so contact tracing as we mentioned when you when investigators track down people who have come into contact with an infected person is a pretty resource intensive intensive process one person who has the virus can pretty quickly if they're not isolating come into contact with dozens of people who are now also potential cases and investigators need to track down each one of those contacts call them, talk to them, determine if they are at risk for an infection, and then each of those people can create their own contacts as well. So uh, that, that takes a lot of manpower, it takes a lot of people making those phone calls. Um, and it would seem to me that testing would make that process more accurate and effective, um, but the Andrew, Bruce Anderson, the health director, was kind of making the case that, you can just use isolation um, and contact tracing to control the spread without needing to do this mass testing. Um, advocates for reopening the economy say they you can uh, you can lessen the risk um, of, of easing the lockdown through testing without having to direct people to isolate every time they're potentially exposed. And you know, without a test to confirm that someone is healthy, if they're potentially a case, then they have to go into isolation for two weeks, and that would happen every time they're potentially exposed. Um, And so that fact kind of makes restarting any kind of normal economic activity almost impossible. So it would seem like you do need some form of testing to really begin to relax the isolation measures and restart some kind of economic activity. Um, I think it's important to note that in South Korea, which has been probably the country most cited for effectively flattening its curve, Um, they were able to do that without extensive shutdowns and really significant economic disruption. And uh, their government officials have said they were able to do that in large part due to an aggressive testing regimen. The head of the World Health Organization has pushed testing uh, and and recommended that leaders uh, pursue testing. Um, U.S. Democratic U.S. senators and the U.S. Senate are... Uh, are now pushing uh, some federal funding to pursue testing nationally and expand that. Um, But as Bruce Anderson alluded to, there are still some major limitations, particularly locally when it comes to testing. The supplies are one thing to actually do those tests, things like sterile swabs, uh, the vials that the the swabs go in and that are shipped out to the lab, the enzymes to do the test, all of those things, uh, the supplies that the testers and the labs need, are in uh, being competed for across the country. So that limits the number of tests that can be done. Um, a lot of tests in Hawaii are still shipped to the mainland to uh, labs for processing. That adds several days uh, often to the time it takes to get a result. So uh, until we get a rapid test and also an antibody test, uh, it will be difficult to use testing on a really wide scale to kind of ease things but that seems to be the recipe for success that these plans from HMSA and uh, the joint one from the University of Hawaii Economic Research Organization and East West Center are proposing. Um, and and uh, we'll see. But those are, that's kind of the centerpiece of these plans is um, large scale testing and contact tracing that will allow for an easing of these lockdown restrictions.
0: All right. Well, thanks so much, Ryan, for that story. That was HPR reporter Ryan Finity with a story about ideas for reopening our economy. And uh, I should mention, since we're talking about testing. Uh, the city did just confirm a while ago that uh, there has been a new uh, case linked to Westlock Elderly Village and that they are doing drive-through testing in Ebba Beach at the Ussing Park.
5: Support for Hawai'i Public Radio comes from Inkanen Executive Search. Since 1992, helping Hawai'i organizations find leaders from across the nation and around the world. I-N-K-I-N-E-N dot Mire's boyfriend fled Cuba seeking political asylum.
3: He's saying, please, I, I can't stay more here. I have a problem with the government. I have a problem with the police.
5: But now he's got a new problem. The coronavirus.
3: This virus is very, very strong. It's not only for the old
5: people. Asylum seekers locked up and afraid of getting sick. On the next Reveal. Tonight at 7, following Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Ko'olau Women's Healthcare with offices in Kailua and Honolulu featuring single incision laparoscopy. Learn more at ko'olauwomenshealthcare.com.
0: One of the most popular visitor attractions here on Oahu, Hanama Bay, has uh, been shut down. Uh, That's the subject of today's reality check. Honolulu Civil Beach's Chad Blair joins us this morning. Hi there.
7: Good morning, Catherine.
0: So, yeah, I mean, they were closing down Hanama Bay, you know, one day a week, but now it's closed for a very long time.
7: Right. It was was, uh, traditionally closed every Tuesday, uh, but it has been closed since March 16th. I think it was one of the first uh, public areas to be closed, of course it's a visitor attraction, uh, and it's not going to be reopened at least until April 30th, but the upshot to this is that marine biologists are having a very unique opportunity to study the conditions of the reef uh, and the fish. You couldn't do that when 3,000 people are visiting every single day. That adds up to, gosh, I think it's something like 185,000 people a year visiting Hanama Bay. It's so beautiful, but the problem is, is there's been some serious environmental degradation uh, to the bay, uh, and it includes also from uh, ocean temperatures rising, uh, coral bleaching, and storm water runoff. So the, the upshot of the COVID-19, a positive thing, is biologists are studying to see how can we make our reefs our ecosystem in the ocean uh, be more sustainable.
0: And uh, your reporter, Brittany Light, she was reaching out to a number of researchers, uh, you know, when she was doing this story. It's really interesting to hear their take on it.
7: Yeah. And, you know, I think we tend to sometimes forget that Hanalma Bay is a, a marine life conservation district. That's a very serious designation. It's been in place for a number of years. And what does that mean? Well, it means, you know, you can't, you can't fish, you can't hunt in the area. And then for the visitors themselves, there are uh, restrictions in place. If you're a new visitor, uh, there, you gotta watch a nine minute video on safety before you go down there. You, you have to be educated on what you should and should not do. For example, don't step on the reef. A lot of people don't realize that a reef is a living organism. And, um, and so these things are in place. But if the science, if the research uh, is helpful and useful, Uh, What they're telling Brittany, the scientist, the marine biologist, is that we can take this and we can apply this to other areas uh, around the state that are vulnerable, and not just ones uh, that are on the coast. It could include places like... Diamond Head, right? That that hiking trail has also been closed. Another place that is extremely crowded uh, because tourists love it so much.
0: Right, so we have to, I guess, uh, let the earth breathe, right? Let the fish (laughs) congregate. I mean, I I remember a time when, when, and I have to admit it, I fed the fish there peas, frozen peas, when that was allowed, but it's not anymore.
7: No, it's not. And, and one of the things they're looking at is a lot of the reef there grows vertically in, in little nooks and crannies, not horizontally like it should because it's exposed. And the fish, generally, if a lot of them stay away. Well, what one scientist told Brittany was the fish are getting a little more confident. Now, that there's less people in the water, people that are doing research, and they're actually coming closer and approaching uh, the, uh, the scientists. One of the things that may come of this is understanding more how fish eat their feeding behaviors.
0: Right, so uh, we'll have to see what happens when they do reopen it. Um, whether the fish will be as equally a- aggressive, or if they'll just kind of, uh, you know, move away.
7: Right, and whether you need to close that bay more than one day a week—that uh, that would be extreme. For uh, it would be a tourism hit, but um, it might uh, make the bay survive.
0: Yeah. All right. It'll be interesting to watch. But thanks so much, Chad. Sure, Catherine. That was Civil Beat editor Chad Blair with today's Reality Check. To read their coverage on the coronavirus and its effects, visit civilbeat.org. last month ordered its volunteers to return to U.S. soil following the COVID-19 health crisis. That got former Peace Corps member Representative Richard Cregan thinking about how disappointed those young people probably felt having their contract cut short and wondering if there was a way to redirect the volunteers during this health crisis. He wasn't the only lawmaker to consider that idea. Cregan is a state representative and also an emergency room doctor and former vice chief of staff at Kona Community Hospital. Cregan has also worked with the state health department as a bioterrorism preparedness epidemiologist investigator. He served in the Peace Corps on Molokai and in the Marshall Islands, so the Peace Corps will always have a spot in his heart.
3: You know, we have sessions staff during the legislature and i actually had uh, a guy named ryan ringette who was in the peace corps his sister was in the peace corps and both his parents had been in the peace corps obviously i like people from the peace corps because i think you know there's a sense of idealism in peace corps volunteers that never seems to go away you know, ryan spent two years in Uganda then up for another year and uh, then came back and worked for me so when i saw this, you know, I thought it was a very unfortunate way to interrupt, you know, somebody's service in the Peace Corps because, you know, you get a sense of just incompleteness. It's not that the project you're doing is all that consuming and important. The main thing is to be there and experience another country and have them experience you as an American who's not just a tourist, but actually someone who's there to get to know them, get to know their language, you know, work on something. So it gives you a, a position in their society that's different than you know, visiting or being a tourist or being a businessman. And most of the time, you know, they respect that quite a bit. And Peace
0: Corps workers normally sign, what, like a two-year contract, right?
3: In the beginning, it was just two years. Now it's two and a quarter because they want you to train for like three months and then do a full two years. So it's a little, you know, it can't interrupt your career. But Usually you do a summer and then two years, and you come back more or less in time to do graduate school, which I think probably about a quarter of Peace Corps volunteers at least do. After their Peace Corps service, and there are a lot of programs that are designed actually for Peace Corps volunteers to do a master in public health or a master in public policy, that kind of thing.
0: And it was so, your uh, stint. It was your stint in the Peace Corps in healthcare that got you interested in the medical field
3: it really solidified my desire to actually go to medical school Be- becoming a doctor is, is not the easiest thing in the world you know it takes a tremendous commitment of time effort and these days money but and my brother and i both graduated from high school at the same time and he he became an emergency physician as well as myself. So for us, it was almost like secular priesthood. We both had gone to a Catholic high school and thought about becoming brothers, entering their order to teach and stuff. We realized we didn't have the same commitment to, well, to that calling. a strong commitment mm-hmm. to the Catholic religion perhaps. So medicine replaced that as a kind of a, something to dedicate our lives to that would just give our lives sort of an intrinsic meaning. You know, we didn't have any doctors in the family. We had a lot of nurses. In my generation, we had five or six doctors. So We moved from, you know, a lot of aunts who were nurses to my brother and I and a bunch of cousins who were physicians.
0: Because we're dealing with this unprecedented health crisis, you were struck when you read that all these peace corps workers were being called back home.
3: They they came back, you know, they have they still have all their idealism. Their sense of interruption is pretty severe for some of them because, you know, this was part of their plan, you know, this was their dream and that dream was interrupted. There's another peace corps volunteer in the, in the legislature representative Gene War, so he did his peace corps in in Asia, but then he was on East Timor as a peace corps a country director. They got interrupted in East Timor by, you know, the war in East Timor. So he had to bring back his volunteers. We've talked about that, and it was really hard for them to do, but it happens in the Peace Corps. There's something about, you know, dedicating a year or two of your life to public service. You know, there's the AmeriCorps, there's VISTA. Yet what we need in our country is good health care. So exposing a... uh, a group of people to do healthcare, immersing them, even though they may not do that the rest of their lives, gives them a perspective on understanding the needs of people who who need healthcare, but also how it's done. You you kind of see behind the curtain of of healthcare. So the, the National Healthcare is something that I think probably should be done. We need more people in healthcare, And it's like, if you experience something, then you say, oh, I can do that.
0: So this idea of yours of a COVID core, I mean, other states, I think California has a health core, uh, you know, where they're, where they're calling for volunteers to kind of help step up with this crisis.
3: Even though I think it's good to have older volunteers, the younger volunteers, one, are relatively safer. They have more energy. But also, if they do get the disease, one, they're likely to recover fully, and two, they're likely to then be immune and and be healthy enough to provide you know some of their serum, you know, the part of right. the plasma, part of their blood, that can help other people. And that is the one thing, the one real medicine we have. You know, the early uh, results from China have shown that that can be quite dramatically helpful.
0: The a- antibodies, and, uh, the antibodies, yeah. yeah.
3: Bernie Sanders inspired you know the young people of our country dramatically, and this is the type of thing that, you know, he could take and run with uh, is, uh, you know, and, I, you know, I hope he gets wind of this and decides to maybe take this on as something he could do. You know, keep, the inspira- keep inspiring young people to do something. One, you know, one of his big things was healthcare care for all, and this is a way to, uh, you know, help. You know, the idea is if health service for all can, can kind of lead into health care for all.
0: That was State Representative Richard Cregan with an idea to harness Peace Corps volunteers who were recalled because of COVID-19. Just last week, U.S. Senators uh, Edward Markey of Massachusetts and Chris Van Hollen from Maryland introduced legislation that they call the United Act. Uh, It calls for expanding volunteer opportunities within groups like the Peace Corps, AmeriCorps, and VISTA to continue their service to our country during this health crisis.
5: Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Evergreen by Deborah, featuring hydroflow permeable paver technology designed to allow rainwater to find its way back to the island's aquifers and reduce runoff. EvergreenbyDebra.com. I'm Bert Lum. Today on Bite Marks Cafe, we'll find out how teachers are keeping up with technology to best deliver online learning. We'll explore ways that the Hawaii Society for Technology in Education are sharing their knowledge through their virtual office hours. That's today at 6.30 p.m. on Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Scheidler College of Business at UH Manoa. The next online info session for the Distance EMBA and Master of HR is this Friday. scheidler.hawaii.edu slash events.
0: As countries around the world grapple with COVID-19, there have been concerns about the poor countries. Madagascar is off the coast of Africa, and it's where we first connected with Peace Corps worker Kamaka Diaz. The Hilo native is uh, one of close to 1,500 volunteers from Hawaii who talked with us about his fears for those who he'd come to regard as Ohana during his Peace Corps stint. Madagascar uh, only saw its first COVID cases last month and now has some cities on lockdown to prevent the spread to towns and villages. Diaz extended his stay in that country. He returned to Hawaii recently and in January launched a creative effort to pay down his school loans. We reached out uh, as Peace Corps workers were recalled from around the world in light of this health crisis. Kamaka shared his hopes and fears with us as we watched the cases climb in the area described as one of the poorest nations in the world.
4: My biggest fear is that people I know will get sick and they won't have the resources to get better or they won't be able to get medical attention and then you know, worst case scenario. I don't even want to think about that.
0: Yeah, it 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 is scary though because I think everybody was concerned that when it hits those countries that are that don't have the resources and the manpower, um, you know, barely even have water to wash their hands. You know what's going to happen?
4: It might be good that some places are really rural that as long as nobody brings it in, they'll be safe.
0: I'm sure you're glad to be back home though during this time
4: yeah definitely i mean i'm super grateful that i got to finish my service and come back home because for the peace corps volunteers that had to get sent home or evacuated so quickly i I can't even imagine that happening to me i'd be so sad
0: yeah so do they normally roll the peace corps workers out in cycles in certain you know times of the year how does that work
4: i think it's about every six months in madagascar it's people arrive in groups like the health and agriculture volunteers arrive then a couple months later it's the education and then a new health and ag and then new education so it's like it's a cycle of every few months and once you're finished with your two years then the new group uh, that arrives in madagascar they're the ones that replace you and it's
2: a constant cycle,
0: yeah. So while a lot of time goes in preparing yourself to be in country wherever you get assigned, if your time gets cut short, that just that's just how it is. It's
4: hard mentally too, I think, because people were prepared. They gave two years. They were prepared to give two years to Madagascar, to their community, to their job and they basically just got fired, you know, and sent home or let go and now they're they don't know what to do. And then people are gonna bombard them with questions and it's just, it's going to it's gonna be hectic. And I know for the Peace Corps volunteers that just got home, like, it's nice to be home because, you know, you're with family and everything, but sometimes you just want to stay in Madagascar because that's where your new home is, and you got used to that lifestyle. It's kind of hard, you know. I feel like their physical body is in America, but I feel like their hearts are still in Madagascar. That's what I've seen on Facebook. I think everyone's just... Just sad because they either had projects or grants that they were working on. They're in the middle of the school year, so they have to leave some of their students without an English teacher. It is hard because they know that this virus is going to affect them pretty badly over there. And but they they can't control. It. They haven't they just have to go home, you know.
0: You mentioned that in some very poor and remote villages that they, yeah, they don't even have water.
4: Yeah, yeah, the deep south is known for being very dry. So access to water is going to be tough and you know we're supposed to be washing our hands and, and that stuff but how are you supposed to wash hands without water so and you know if they have water i'm sure they want to use it to drink instead of wash your hands it's going to be tough down there hopefully it doesn't reach them down there because they are pretty far from the capital because i know the places near the capital will probably get it worse because that's where all the, like, the airport is. And I think most or all cases have been from travelers coming into Madagascar from France or somewhere else.
0: Has anyone that you're aware of, like at your old school, has there been a case in that village or the town?
4: Not yet, I think it's still pretty new, yeah, luckily, nothing at my old site, probably just all in the capital city
0: and how are the kids? you miss the kids <laughs>
4: uh yeah, the good ones,
0: <laughs> <laughs> not the rascal ones
4: <laughs> yeah no i miss I miss them, my family over there. Oh. I know I'll go back one day.
0: I guess yeah, we'll, we'll just have to see how they ride out this crisis.
4: Yeah, you know, I saw somebody post this video on Facebook where they had a really good system going on for quarant- quarantining people and getting people uh, free, free testing, and it looked really well organized and very surprising for you know a country that's really poor. So it's cool to see that how quick they responded to this case.
0: I worry, though, about the testing because, I mean, we're even having trouble here in Hawaii uh, ramping up the tests. And uh, so in those places, I I imagine, yeah, that it's hard. And I don't know where they have to send the, the test results to.
4: But also another thing that I was thinking about, too, was like a lot of people live far, you know. So when I worked for a community health organization in my third year, and one thing that they worked on was emergency transportation. So if you're sick, the closest thing to you is usually this tubi, which is a health hut, and they have limited resources. So you have to go to the, the bigger hospital, which is a couple hours walking or you know, driving if you can get on a car or bus. And then if they don't have enough resources, resources then you have to go even further to the biggest city to try to get more resources and if they don't have anything then what do you do but i can see that problem coming up in madagascar things never go according to plan over there i i see videos and pictures of people kind of panicking the stores are super crowded i see lines going through aisles and i honestly don't know what what's going to happen uh, but i'm pretty sure it's going to be bad which is sad because i can't do anything about it
0: you, you're struggling with just feeling so helpless here, over here.
4: Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I don't, there's
0: nothing we can do. Right, right. Just keep everybody in our thoughts and prayers. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I do appreciate your time. And, uh, oh, yeah, and then I know, how did your, your campaign, how's that going?
4: Oh, it's going really, really well, actually. Uh, today's day 78, I think. Yeah, day seventy-eight, and I made fifteen thousand dollars so
2: far.
0: Oh my gosh! So share with our listeners because you had a goal to be able to tackle your debt at the beginning of the year uh, with all your mm -hmm. school loans, but you were trying to do it so that you could help people out.
4: Yeah, exactly. It's called the race to fifty k, and my mission is to pay off fifty thousand dollars of student loans in one year, and I'm doing that by asking people, "How can I help you? Help me?" So people just give me random jobs to do, and I do it, and I don't charge anything. Whatever they give me, that's what I get. And it's been going very well, I've done all kind of random things, last week I dressed up as Buzz Lightyear for a kid's birthday party, then I went to another bar- birthday party and bartended, I've done yard work, uh, deliveries, babysitting, dog walking, but mm-hmm. it's really cool to see the kindness of others and everybody being so willing to help, help me out and reach out to, you know, come on this journey with me. I even got a free car.
0: Wow, that's awesome.
4: <laughs> that's crazy, yeah.
0: But I, I just imagine, though, just with the turn of events that, you know, there are just probably lots of ways that you could help other people out during this time.
4: Yes, be- definitely. Um, so I'm I'm trying to make grocery runs for people, the people that you know, don't want to go to the stores around people. I'm trying to be as cautious as possible. You even wash my hands, don't touch my face. I got some hand sanitizer on me. But, yeah, I, I'm, things have slowed Slow down because of this, the coronavirus. But I'm I'm still trying to figure out ways. I have sold shirts and hats. I'm I'm planning to write an ebook about my time in Madagascar, and I can sell that. We just got to get creative in these times.
0: That was former Big Island resident and Peace Corps worker Kamaka Diaz talking about his fears for the friends he made working uh, in Madagascar for the last three years. We reached out to him last month, just after that country logged its first COVID-19 case. Well, it's time to go now, but on the rundown for tomorrow, a closer look at Phase 2 of a coronavirus survey sent out to Hawaii residents. Leave your feedback on our talk back line, 808-792-8217. Post your comments on Facebook at The Conversation, HPR, or tweet us at hi conversation. Find our archive shows online uh, at The Conversation page on hawaiipublicradio.org. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of The Conversation. Ooh.